We're going to be in Hebrews 11. What is faith? And the world around us seems to offer several answers to this question. Mark Twain famously said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Uh, and those who would offer this as an answer to faith would probably say something along the lines of, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you believe something. Uh, some within American Christianity would tell us faith is sort of a creative force, that if we believe something enough, if we confess it in faith, then it will come to pass. If we believe it, we'll receive it. If we confess it, we'll possess it, we hear uh, others within American Christianity would tell us faith is simply affirming right doctrines. Right, So long as you affirm or believe the right things about, say, Jesus or God's word, salvation, then you have faith. So which, if any of those, is the right answer to the question, what is faith? Maybe another question would be, why does it even matter as to what faith actually is? Now, as a disciple of Jesus, I would say it does matter what faith is. And I would say it matters because of what God's word tells us about faith. God's word tells us that faith, uh, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. God's word tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. And God's word also tells us faith without works is dead. Now, something interesting about those three statements about faith, which all come from various passages in the Bible, is that the faith described there, all of them have a living quality about it. Right? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it tells us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. But then verse 10, which is connected, goes on to say we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ to do the good works God prepared for us to do. So we are saved by grace through faith, so we can then live and do certain things for the glory of God. Hebrews 11.6 is the one that says that without faith it's impossible to please God, but it also says the faith which pleases God, it's not a, a static faith, it is a faith which believes God is, and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So the faith that pleases God is an active, a living faith. And of course, Faith without works is dead from James 2, 14 through 26. He goes into great detail, making sure we understand affirming right doctrine about Jesus isn't enough. Even the demons believe, James would tell us, and yet they have the sense to tremble, but they aren't saved. So faith is apparently very important for us to get right as disciples of Jesus. Since this is the case, we're going to spend a lengthy uh, amount of time on the, the quintessential chapter on faith so we can understand what a living faith looks like. We can embrace the Bible's idea of a living faith and we can begin to be sure we not only have a living faith, but we can pass this on to others. So open your Bible to Hebrews 11. Should be page 926. I'm going to read the first, and when you find that, I must just stand on the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read the first three verses, but tonight we're really only going to look at verses 1 and 3, and next week we'll look at verses 2 and 6. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, 
So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Title of the message tonight and the whole series is A Living Faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Help us, O oh God, as we look at your word to understand faith. To understand what it is, what it looks like, how to live it out, and to, to examine our lives to be sure we are. And Lord, to be able to help others to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. To help others to be able to grow into a living faith which brings glory and honor to your name. God, tonight, that we would lay aside whatever cares of life we may have brought in. We would be focused upon you and upon your word. And we would have ears to hear what your spirit would be saying to us tonight. Let your word and spirit work together. To plow up our hearts and let the word sink deep down and bring forth good fruit for your glory. Fill me tonight with your spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. and Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said, what you want done. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So Hebrews 11, of course, is all about faith. Specifically, Hebrews 11 is all about a living faith. Now, just as a reminder, Hebrews 11 is written to a discouraged group of Jewish Christians. They have been suffering for their faith in Christ. Uh, things have been very, very difficult for them. And at first, they held up very well. They even rejoiced in their sufferings. But time had gone on. Things had not gotten better. They had begun to be discouraged and, and begin to really even think maybe things were better if we were to go back to Judaism. Maybe we should just abandon the faith of Jesus and go back to the way it was. Life was easier then. Somehow the, the author of Hebrews finds out about their discouragement and about their contemplating going back. And he writes this letter to them to encourage them to maintain their living faith in Jesus. Now to do this, the author focuses on two main themes throughout the book. First theme is Jesus is better. This is one of the primary themes throughout the book. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Whatever you can imagine from the Old Testament, Jesus is better in every way imaginable. The second theme throughout the book is live by faith. The idea of living by faith is seen throughout the book of Hebrews, but it hits its high point in chapter 11. Now, one of the reasons the author goes to such great pains to talk about living by faith in chapter 11 is because of how he's ended chapter 10. So look back at chapter 10, verse 32. So in verse, chapter 10, verse 32, the author says, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used, for you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took oh, compassion on me in my bonds. So, verse 32, 33, the first part of the verse 34, the author reminds them of the suffering that they've already gone through. Right now, we don't know everything that they went through, but they came to Jesus, they began to suffer, so it was done in public, people saw it, People made fun of them. The, they they aligned themselves 
with people who were devoted to Jesus. And they even had their own stuff kind of plundered. That They, they took the, the plundering of their goods. So their faith initially was very, very costly to them. Right? They, I guess you could probably say if we go off what we know from other places, uh, they were probably fired from their jobs, they lost family, they lost friends. And, and plundering of their goods seems to imply that even people took their stuff while probably the, the city, the, the police, whatever passed for police at that time, turned a blind eye. Nobody cared what was happening to them. Then in verse 34, at the end of it, we see how they endured it. That these things they took joyfully, the spoiling of their goods, because they knew in themselves that they had in heaven a better and more enduring substance. Right. So the reason they endured all of that, and not only endured it, they endured it joyfully. Right. They at first they were like, we're suffering for Jesus. This this is awesome. And they knew they were suffering for Jesus and they knew it was great. And they endured it because they had something better. They knew that whatever the world could take from them. Was not could not be compared to what Jesus was going to give them. One day they would be with Jesus and he would give them something far better than anything the world had taken. But, again, this was not short and sweet and once and done. It was a long period of time. Things were going on. They weren't getting any better. And so he writes to them now. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Right. So you've done well. You, you've kept the faith. You endured all of that because of what you knew to be true. And he's basically saying, hold fast. Don't give up. Don't go back. Do not let go for you have need of patience or endurance that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Right. So. He's telling them it's not enough that you had faith back then. It's not enough that you had a a living faith at this point that you endured it. You must have a living faith now as well to keep on. And you must keep this living faith up until the very end. Because if you want to receive the promise that you held on to back there that what you're going to get is better. You can't let go now. You've got to keep on and keep pushing and make it to the very end. For in a little while... And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Right? So you've got to keep on until Jesus comes back is essentially what he's saying. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now, of course, quoting from the Old Testament, talking about God, God has no pleasure in those who draw back is clearly meant to be a contrast To those who receive the good report by faith and who please God by their faith from Hebrews 11 and 2 and 11 and 6. But then here's what he says in verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back to perdition, but to them who believe to the saving of their soul. Right. So what he tells them is if you if you abandon Jesus and you go back. To the way things were. You leave your faith in Christ to go back to Judaism. You are going back to what he calls perdition. right? And perdition is essentially another name for destruction or damnation or judgment. What he's saying is, if you go back, if you abandon your living faith in Christ and you go back, 
You're, you're going back to damnation or destruction. Now, the, the, there are a lot of arguments about this. Does this mean that they were never saved to begin with? Does this mean that they were apostatized, that they abandoned their faith? And, and the reality is that argument is irrelevant. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if they never had faith to begin with and the suffering revealed it so they left. Or if the suffering was too much and they abandoned their faith because the end result is the same. Those who do not persevere in a living faith in Jesus to the very end, they have pulled back to perdition. They pull back to perdition whether it reveals they were never saved or they pull back to perdition whether they committed apostasy and forfeited their salvation. The, the what, how it happened is actually irrelevant because the end is the same. They will face the, the, the sure and severe wrath of God. Now, he clearly expects better from them. He expects that they would believe and keep believing and maintain their living faith in Jesus. Now, he's ended on this time because he wants them to understand faith is not a one-time event. But a living faith in Jesus isn't something we had at some point in the past, but it has no bearing on our lives today. Now, a living faith in Jesus did begin at some point in the past. There was a moment in all of our lives where we did not believe. And then we repented of our sins, we believed in Jesus Christ, and we called upon Him to save us. And our faith began at that moment. But it didn't stop there. Faith is not, a living faith is not something in the past that has no bearing on our lives today. A living faith Something that, that bears upon our lives each and every day. It influences the actions we take, the way we think, the words we say. It is something bearing weight and influence on our lives up until the time Jesus comes back. Or we die and we go to be with Him. And a person who, again, who does not persevere, does not continue, well, they... They pull back to perdition. Now, since a living faith is so eternally critical, we have to be sure what a living faith is, what a living faith does, and where a living faith comes from. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. First, a living faith is the foundation of our expectation. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, the word translated as substance, the Greek word translated as substance in my King James Bible, could very literally be translated as that which stands under. And it referred to a foundation. Faith undergirds our hope. Faith is the foundation of our hope. Our hope from Jesus is built upon our faith in Jesus. Now, I use the word expectation in my point because... Expectation is a key aspect of hope. A biblical hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance. Jesus will do what he has said he will do. There is an, an expectation. Jesus will do what he has said he will do. Expectation is the key part of understanding hope. When we have hope in Jesus, we expect Jesus to do things. Now that 
to me, can sound presumptuous. Does it sound presumptuous to you to say we expect Jesus to do something? And I guess it could be, but not if our expectation is coming from the right place. If our expectation is coming from who we know Jesus is and what we know Jesus is like and what we know Jesus has said, then we can rightly and without presumption expect Jesus will always act in accordance with his nature. Jesus will always act in a way that fulfills his word and his promise. Right? So an example, is it presumptuous to expect Jesus to save someone who repents of their sins, believes on Jesus, and calls upon Him to save them. Is that presumptuous on our part? Well, of course not. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. Saving people is just what Jesus does. So we can rightly expect He will save everyone who repents, believes, and calls upon Him. And so hope just takes that with salvation to basically everything else Jesus has said. A living faith believes Jesus is everything he says he is. A living faith believes Jesus can do everything he says he can do. And a living faith believes Jesus will do everything he says he will do. This living faith in the character and the nature of Jesus becomes the the foundation of our expectation, our hope from Jesus. Now, if we believe, we expect Jesus to do what he said he would do, this leads us then to live differently. So a living faith is the fuel for our motivation, the fuel of our motivation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, what are the what are the things not seen? Well, the things not seen are the promises of Jesus. That we haven't seen what he has promised happen. I mean, there's nothing we can't say. Look at that. There, There it is. It is an unseen promise. And our living faith in Jesus reveals the unseen promises of Jesus. And it reveals the unseen promises of Jesus as we live in light of them, as we act upon them. But a living faith does not merely affirm the unseen promises of Jesus are true. A living faith also lives differently because the unseen promises of Jesus are true. But our faith in Jesus fuels our motivation to live for Jesus. Those with a living faith in Jesus believe He is everything He has said He is. They believe He can do everything He said He can do. And they believe He will do everything He said He will do. And so they make life choices based upon this belief system. Those with a living faith will make their life choices based upon what they believe about Jesus. Fully expecting Him to do all He has said he could and would do. Now, the truth, this, this truth of our faith in Jesus fueling our life, fueling our motivation to live differently. It, this affects every area of our life because there is no area of our life where Jesus has not spoken in one way or another. Right? So if we have a living faith, our living faith in Jesus, it influences our values. We value what 
he has said the value. And what he has said the value is often very, very different than what the world has said the value. If we have a living faith in Jesus, it influences our attitudes. Because Jesus has talked about an attitude in a way that is, again, far different than what the world says to have. I mean, even in what we've just read, they joyfully endured the spoiling of their goods. Now, Jesus actually said something about that. Is that not a different attitude than our world would have? That that comes not by because we, we choose comes from a living faith. Our living faith in Jesus influences our priorities. Again, Jesus has said there are certain things that are a priority to Him and to His disciples. And as His disciples who believe He is who He says He is, we make His priorities our priorities. Our living faith in Jesus influences our actions. There are certain things Jesus said that His people will do and won't do. And so we, because we believe He is who He says He is, and He will do what He says He will do, we do the things He has said to do, and we don't do the things He has said not to do. Our living faith in Jesus influences our reactions. Jesus has even said we should react to stressors and difficulties and people in certain ways that are very contrary to the world. And because we are His disciples who believe He is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He can do, we react to these issues in the way Jesus said we ought to. Our living faith in Jesus influences our speech. Jesus has said there's a way we're to talk that is right, and a way that we're to talk that, or the way that we're not to talk. And because we believe He is who He says He is, and He can do what He says He can do, we, we talk the way He says and we don't talk the way He has said we ought not speak. And we do this with our time management, our financial stewardship, our, our morals. There, there is no area of our life, our relationships, there is no area of our life where our living faith in Jesus does not influence it in, many, in, in every way. In in many ways, this is what the rest of Hebrews 11 is about. It is about showing a living faith and how it influences the life choices of people. How do we know Abel had a living faith? We know Abel had a living faith because he brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. How do we know Noah had a living faith? We know Noah had a living faith because he built an ark. He heard about the rain. He moved with fear. And he built an ark to the saving of his family. How do we know Abraham had a living faith? We know Abraham had a living faith because he left his homeland, he offered his son, and he lived as a a pilgrim and a stranger in a land not his own. How do we know Moses had a living faith? We know because he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He forsook Egypt. He kept the Passover. He walked on the Red Sea as though it were dry land. How do we know Joshua had a living faith? We know Joshua had a living faith because he marched around the city of Jericho. How do we know the people in Hebrews 11 were heroes of the faith who had a living faith in the living God? We know they had a living faith because they made life decisions based upon who they believed God was and what they believed God had said to them about what they were to do. They believed God was everything he said he was. They believed God would do everything He said He would do. They believed God could do everything He said He could do. And so, they lived differently because of this belief. Their living faith was seen 
in the life decisions they made, which were based upon what they believed God was like and what they believed God had said. And as they moved out to do these things, they lived with expectation. They fully expected God to do all the things God had said. And in doing so, they revealed, made clear, the unseen promises of God. We too have been given unseen promises of God. Peter says these promises are exceedingly great and precious, which have been given to us. These unseen and exceedingly great and precious promises, they're already ours because of our connection to Jesus. He is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. He is the one who brought us into covenant relationship with God. He is the one that guarantees God will do all He has said He will do in us and through us and for us. And the reason, the main reason, we do not experience these promises is because we are either unwilling to act upon them or we we just don't act upon them. These promises are already ours through Jesus. All we have to do is believe. Jesus is everything He says He is. Jesus can do everything He says He can do. Jesus will do everything He says He will do. And then, act according to our faith. Make life decisions based upon what we believe about who Jesus is and what He has said. This is the essence of a living faith. A living faith is our motivation. It is the fuel for our motivation to make life choices based upon the unseen promises of Jesus. And as we make these life choices, we do so expecting Jesus to come through and do what he has said he would do. Let me give you just some of the the promises we have. Of course, we wouldn't have time to look at any of these in detail. But there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. God will provide for all of our needs through Christ. Jesus has freed us from slavery to sin. Our prayers of faith are powerful because God is powerful. Nothing we do in Jesus' name is ever in vain. God will save people when we share the gospel. God can do more in us, through us, and for us than we can possibly imagine. The Holy Spirit will produce fruit in our lives. God will complete the work He began when we were saved. We are more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. Now, if I were to go around the room and say, do you believe these are true? We would all say, absolutely. Absolutely, those are true. That is, those are, that is God's Word. It is absolutely true. But do we make life decisions Based upon what we know to be true there. What we say we believe. I mean, we we just... A couple. Let me look at just a couple quickly. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. That's, That's huge, right? I mean, as a disciple of Jesus who's been born again, God does not... I mean, there's not some future version of me 
that is free from condemnation. I am right now at this moment free. I will not be judged as a sinner because of my connection to Jesus. Not because I've been good. Not because this week I did a really good job living for Jesus this week. But because I'm in Christ. Now, how different would we live if we believe that? I mean, we, I think we would still take our sins very seriously because it was a sin against God. But the devil, doesn't he beat us up over our sins? Doesn't he cause us to think you're worthless, you're no good, God would be done with you? He does me. Maybe, maybe you don't sin. Maybe you don't struggle with your past. Maybe you don't worry about the things that you've done or the current struggles you have. But I do. And I, I honestly, I wrestle with living no condemnation. My life would be vastly different if I lived fully in light of the fact there was no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. But I struggle with it. Or God can do more in us, through us, and for us than we can possibly imagine. Again, that's what Ephesians 3.20 says. God can do more than we can ask or imagine through the power that's at work in us. So it's not just He can do more, but He can do more in us, through us, and for us. I mean, do, does the life we live, the actions we take, does it bear out we believe in a God who can do exceedingly abundantly more? Not, not more through the Billy Grahams of the world. Not more through the Rick Warrens of the world. More through us. Ordinary people in the middle of the panhandle of Oklahoma. Or the Holy Spirit will produce fruit. In our lives, right? love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Will. I mean, that's a, isn't that a guarantee, isn't that a promise that the Holy Spirit will produce that? How often do we not see those things in our life and, and make excuses? Well, that's just, I'm just, that's not who I am as a person. I'm not a very loving person. And I love who I love, but other people. Wouldn't, I mean... If we believe God is going to make me love people as He has loved me. I mean, He is going to produce that in me through His Spirit. Wouldn't we be different? This living faith, it is the, the fuel of our motivation to live for Jesus because we, we just take it at His word. Jesus said it. He meant it. He can do it. So I'm just going to do it and expect. I think about it sometimes in terms of like when God told told them in Joshua to carry the ark and walk into the middle of the, the Jordan River. If you remember, God didn't part the water until they got in there. And, and the way I can read it, they carry, you know, they had long poles that were big long, so there's people in the front, people in the back, people in the middle. And the way I read it. Everybody's feet had to get wet before God parted the water. So those first people, right, they didn't just touch. I mean, God didn't do anything when they were here. And even those people at first, their toes didn't touch the water in a split. They had to walk into the water far enough that the people in back, their feet got wet. And then and only then did the waters begin to part. So many times I think we... I, I'm not going to project onto you. I want God to, I'm at the edge, God, part the waters and I'm going. And God's like, jump in. 
I'm like, as soon as the water's parted, I'm jumping in in absolute faith, right? And I think what we have to do is our, our faith has to fuel that motivation to, to get wet and trust God is going to part the waters just like He said He would. A living faith is the foundation of our expectation. Jesus will do what He has said He will do. Once the foundation of our expectation has been laid, it then becomes the fuel for our motivation to live as though these unseen and precious promises of Jesus are true. That will be evidenced by the just the life choices we make. And then the final point for tonight. A living faith is built upon revelation. So faith isn't believing what you know ain't true. Faith isn't a, a blank check to positively confess anything we want. And so long as we sincerely believe it, boom, it, it comes to pass where it becomes true. While faith is a foundation, faith also has a foundation. And this foundation is the revealed word, or is the revelation of God's word. Look at verse 3. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So the things which are seen do not, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, in an effort to call the people to a life of faith, he reminds them of something they already believed as absolute fact. But what they may not have realized is they believed it by faith. But the, these were Hebrew Christians. They knew the Old Testament. They knew in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. They they knew, and then God said, "Let there be land." And let there, they knew that they believed that they you could have. I mean, they could have told you absolutely. God is the sole creator of all that we see, and He spoke it all into existence, and there was nothing until God determined there was something, and then when God said it, it came to pass. But how did they know that? How did they know they weren't there? They didn't even have an eyewitness account. They knew what God had said in His Word. They knew the book of Genesis. They knew what the Old Testament had told them about who God was and what God was like. They already had an idea. And it was based upon what was revealed in the Word of God. Their faith already was built upon God's revelation found in God's Word. Those in our culture today would have us believe it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you believe something and so long as you believe it sincerely. This is patently false. And it is not in any way a Christian idea of faith. It is not the idea of faith we find taught about in God's word. It is not the living faith which pleases God. It is not the living faith which is alive and not dead. It is not the living faith which brings about salvation. Everything we believe about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said and promised is rooted in the revelation of about Jesus found in God's Word. Right? Our faith in who Jesus is, what He has done, what He has promised, it is based on this. 
Not anything else. We, a living faith believes Jesus is everything he says he is in God's word. A living faith believes Jesus will do everything he said he will do in God's word. A living faith believes Jesus can do everything he says he can do in God's word. Our living faith in Jesus must always be rooted and founded and built upon the revelation of Jesus given to us in God's word. Now, for our faith to be rooted and built upon the foundation of God's word, we have to believe certain things about God's word. We have to believe it's real and we have or we have to believe it's right. and We have to believe it's real and to believe God's word is right. It's just what it says that it's right. When it says Jesus is one way, that's right. When it says people are one way, that's right. When it says this is a way of righteousness, that's right. When it says this is the way of sin, that's right. And if we if we don't believe the word is right, we have no foundation for our faith. Because everything we know about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he has said and what he has promised is built upon the word. And we also must believe God's word is is real. Here's what I mean by it's real. Right believes it's right in what it says, but real believes that it's practically possible for our lives today. In recent years, I've been had it in a sneaking suspicion many people within the what we would call conservative evangelical church think of God's word as sort of a pie in the sky ideal of what should be but not the reality of what could be right so they would read about what the bible says about us yes those things should be true of us and we should live in light of those things being true of us but nobody can really live like that, right? I mean, no one can really consistently bear the fruit of the Spirit all the time, can they? No one can really just believe and live constantly believing God will do more. No one can really be free from slavery to sin, right? Yes, we should. Absolutely, that's what should be. But it's just not practically possible that it could be. In our day-to-day lives. As we look at Jesus. We look at Paul. God's word is never given as a pie in the sky ideal, is it? I mean, it's everything is always given as this is practically possible. This is not just how you should live. This is how you could live. It is practically possible to live in this way. And if we don't believe it's real, we can live this way, we won't. We'll begin to make excuses for our low bar of life. Years ago, I read an interview with someone at that time who made a profession of faith in Jesus. We were a famous pop star and was interviewed about her faith and about morality. And she said she what the book said about sexual purity, that was right. That's the way it should be done. 
that it just wasn't possible to live in this world and, and not be sec- what the Bible would call sexually immoral. Now, we would think that's, that's crazy. But when we look at these things and say, well, yeah, that's what should be, but it, I mean, I can't really live that way. It's not any different the way what we're doing. God's word is not given to us to say, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could live with no condemnation? That would be wonderful. God's word is given to us so we can live with no condemnation. It's not given to us so we could say, boy, it would be awesome if God could do more in me, through me, and for me than I could ask or imagine. It's meant to inspire us to live in a way so God can work in us, through us, and for us to do more than we could ever imagine. We, we have to believe it's real. If we don't believe it's real, we won't make life choices based upon it. And I guess in so many ways, the believing it's real is that final barrier. Because again, you probably won't find too many people who are conservative evangelicals who won't believe the Bible's right. But where the rubber meets the road is do you believe it's real? You really can live that way. And it, it, our believing it's real is ultimately seen in our, our willingness to get into the water. Our willingness to walk in when God hasn't parted it yet. And then expect Him to do what He has said He would do. If we, if we don't believe it's right, we won't make life choices based upon what, what we've been promised, what's been said to us. If we don't believe it's real, we won't make life choices based upon what's been revealed to us. We must believe God's word is right and real. That's Without that, our living faith really is not built upon the revelation of God's word. We must believe it's right and it's real. So I want to close by giving us a, a definition of a living faith, which we'll be using throughout the rest of the series. It's also the the main idea of the message. A living faith trusts Jesus' character enough to act on His promises. It's pretty simple. A living faith trusts Jesus' character enough to act upon His promises. And the act is key. It's not enough to say we believe. Our lives must give evidence we believe the unseen promises of God. And it is only as we act is our living faith really a living faith. So, so again, back to these promises really quick and we'll close. These are just some. Do we believe these promises are right and real? I mean, do we believe it is practically possible to live as those Precious promises say we can live. If we would say, yes, I believe it. And in what ways does our life give evidence of this faith? In in what way does our life give evidence of the unseen promises of God? And if, if not, what changes do we need to make So this living faith can be seen in our lives. This this chapter is going to be challenging. 
I'm studying it in part because I wanted to study it out. It's been a long time since I've deeply studied it out. But I think in the day in which we live, a living faith is far more necessary than it's ever been. Things are difficult, and they are going to get more difficult. And a nominal faith isn't going to survive. At the same time, there are so many words spoken every single day in this world. The radio, the TV, the YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitter, the Snapchat, the you name it. And there is there are just words. The world, they must hear the gospel. Don't make me, don't make no mistake. They must hear the gospel. They must see a life that bears it out. They must see a living faith. Our lives must bear witness to the unseen promises of God. So they can then come to us, as Peter would say, and ask us the hope we have within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise, worthy of our devotion. Guide us. Let us examine our lives and see in what ways we need to change, in what areas we need to work on having a a living faith, Lord. Father, I know for myself there are struggles and issues I deal with, and I need to jump in the water and wait and see what you do, not just... Not wait until it's easy. Not wait until I'm comfortable. But just take the step you're, you're calling me to take from your word. Father, let us, let us be a people of living faith. So that no matter what comes, no matter what difficulties, troubles or trials come, we would joyfully endure it knowing we have a more enduring substance waiting for us in heaven. And let our living faith be evident to the world around us so people would come and say, tell me, tell me why you live the way you live. Tell me why you talk the way you talk. Tell me why you act the way you act. And we could tell them the good news of great joy about a Savior who came and died for our sins. Help us in this, we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.